Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. I'm Marjorie Pennett. I'm Elizabeth Reese. This is Best of the Nest, the podcast that's all about creating strong, comfortable, beautiful nests that prepare us to fly. And surprisingly, I'm quite comfortable in my three-by-three closet in the Marriott Residence Inn in Philadelphia. <laughs> very closet, very closet. That's what I said. I'm very closet. I'm very comfortable. How That's are you? very nice. I'm really good because you're hitting the road. You're sounding a little bit different today for our regular listeners. That's because you're not at home with your regular podcast set up, which is not. exciting. You've got a big trip coming up. I do. We're in Philadelphia for a wedding. And this is the fun of being in your 50s and having older children. Oh, We're God. now going to the weddings of our son's friends. Oh, um, fun. Which is really fun. And these are old friends of ours, actually. Our our kids all met because the adults were friends. So these are really friends of ours, but I love their children and it's really cool. I hadn't seen these kids since they were like in fourth grade. Wow. And so I just ran into the, to the groom and it's so cool. I mean, he's a grown, he's a grown ass man. It's like, oh my God, here they are. They've all grown up. So it's really fun. So we're in Philly and then from Philly, we go to Miami overnight. And then from Miami, we're going to Belize for six days. And I like that it's rare that I get to impress you, Elizabeth. Yeah. But I like that I impressed you with the fact that we refused to check luggage just because oh we didn't want the hassle. I can't so believe it. So we did all of this in a carry-on. Unbelievable. Yeah, I, Unbelievable. Yeah. <laughs> Unbelievable. With, we have to have dressy clothes for the wedding. So I, I had to nix the original dress I was going to wear because it took up half my suitcase. Oh, my god! So it's like, oh, that can't be. I'm wearing something not as flamboyant perhaps. But, you could have brought it and um, shipped it home before you went to that's Belize. Right. <laughs> that's that right. would have been a bad but, idea. Yeah, but I have a beautiful dress and but I'm, I was proud of myself too. I mean it took some real like this was the most thoughtful packing I have ever done. But it's great to just be able to get off the plane and go. Yeah, that and, does feel good. And if you're doing that many flights, your chances of something getting lost go up. And so yep. it's nice to not have to worry about where things are going to go. But I do think there's something I'm, I'm into this thing lately when I travel that I love if I've used every single item that I brought. So I was really intentional about what I packed, even if I pack a suitcase and I check it because I generally end up checking. But if I'm like, oh, I wore every single thing and I used every single thing, that makes me feel very good. Yeah. Love that too. I love that too very much. So it's easy though this week because we're doing a July watch read listen. I feel like I just did this one with my husband. But I have been watching, reading, and listening to a ton. I've got, I'm ready to go. Do you want to start with what you're, uh, what you're watching? Sure, I'd be happy to because I just finished it the other night. I finished the first season of First Lady on Showtime. Oh. And I'd been wanting to watch this for a while and I was really excited to have some time to do it. And I'd been watching like one episode or two episodes every few days. And it's really interesting. So it's called The First Lady. Again, it's on Showtime. And what it is, is it shares the stories of three first ladies and Viola Davis is Michelle Obama. 
Michelle Pfeiffer is Betty Ford and Jillian Anderson is Eleanor Roosevelt. And so what right. it does is it delves into their personal lives, into their political lives. And my favorite shows I've decided are shows that when I watch something, I end up wanting to Google more and find out more about these people and their lives and what's happened right. since. And it's just really interesting because I didn't know. I mean, I know more about Michelle Obama because I read her book or almost all of it becoming, but the other two, I didn't know as much about in terms right. of, you know, just beside like the Hazelton Betty Ford Center and then the the quotes from Eleanor Roosevelt that live on. But the dynamic between them and their husbands and the dynamic between them and the other White House staffers oh, yeah. um, is so fascinating to me. And it was just a well done show. So it's that's the first season. It starts with them, kind of their lives before getting into the White House, and then it ends with wrapping up their time in the White House and then post, and it bounces from time period to time period. So it's not like like there's like a little year thing on the bottom of the screen that switches, and it's like, now we went right. to 2000, 2009, you know. But it was it was fascinating. It's fascinating. I've really I really enjoyed it. Well, the wonderful thing that's happening in media right now, and I think there's a confluence of events that's causing it. One is... Um, the appetite for new material is voracious Mm -hmm. because of all these streaming services. So a lot of stories are being told that under the old system, where there was a pretty narrow funnel for what was going to get told in terms of a movie form, women's stories were not getting told. Women weren't making the decisions. Women weren't executive producing things. Women weren't in that position necessarily 30 years ago. Not a lot of them anyway. So the world opening up for women so many different ways, but I think there's also such a huge demand for content and women are the consumers of that content. We consume in such huge numbers. And so this idea that a lot of these problems, a lot of these um, programs are getting greenlit is really exciting. I mean, I think it's a really exciting time to be a woman who wants to tell good stories. And that's why I was really thrilled that Viola Daly, I think she's the executive producer she of, is. of the show. That's so cool. I mean, it's it's so nice to see Shonda Rhimes for such a long time because she's just such a machine and is producing so much. But you're seeing more and more and more and more and more women who are actually just sort of taking control of these stories, which is which is exciting. You know, as someone we've both been in media for so long, this is really exciting. I mean, first ladies used to be thought of an, as an afterthought to their husbands. Yeah. And what you're, I'm sure, learning is they were crucial to their husband. Well, and the fact that they don't get paid to me is just, is insane. And I will say that as, as the daughter of a minister too, whose mother was expected to do certain things within the church organization and absolutely would not even, it would not even be considered that she would be compensated for that. And I have thought that that was total crap since the time I was a kid, because there is absolutely no way that there are things that like, like my husband's job would not expect me to to do to do things there's there's just no way you know i mean my job is maybe a little bit different but even that it's like jay isn't no, expected no, no. to do certain things he did co-host twin cities live for free he did not get paid for that yeah, but that's once every 13 years i mean it's right no when ian went to when my husband went back to school to get his masters of divinity and he really didn't know what he wanted to do with it, but he knew he was called to it. So I'm looking, I'm like, all right. And I said, I mean, I was kind of 
really clear. I mean, it's one of those times in my life where I drew a really strong boundary. And I said, if you become a priest, because he was going to be in the Episcopal Church, I said, mm-hmm. I can't be a traditional priest's wife or no. pastor's wife. It's, it's not in me. I'm not, I'm not wired for that. I'm not built for that. It's not, I'm not, you're called. And I think that's really cool and go do what you're going to do, but I can't do that because it is, it's another, I mean, especially in the day, if you go back 50 years for the wife, it was a full-time job. Oh, it totally was. And, and my mom, I remember my mom not doing that. And which was interesting because her mother oh. was a pastor's wife and her grandmother's before her. And then so, so was my it. dad's mom. So, I mean, she certainly knew what it entailed. But what happened was there was this realization that there was simply times had changed. So my parents weren't living in a parsonage. So they right. had a house payment, you know, so right. like my dad wasn't making any money and she had to go to work to be able to, I mean, and they weren't living, we weren't living like a luxurious lifestyle by any means, but she was like, I got to go to work. And so it was this really interesting shift where, and I do remember conversations about some resentment within the church about that of like from some, you know, kind of older members who Mm -hmm. wanted things to be a certain way. And I remember that being like really fundamental for me in hearing those conversations with my parents and hearing like, we're going to do, we're doing this, how we, how, what works for us and how we're going to do this. And now I look back and think like, oh my gosh, that was the best lesson. Like that was the best lesson for me because you have to do that. And I think you have to do that really with any job. I mean, you always have to remember that you, you are your own self incorporated and no matter what it is, whether, you know, whether you're the president of the United States or whether you work at a grocery store, wherever you work, you can have a lot of respect for your employer, but you do your best for you, not your best for them because they're, you know, they're, they're going to let you go if they need to let you go and you you, you can't have yourself worth based in that. So, um, it was an interesting, yeah. Yeah. It's a middle way. What I think is really important for women who are working outside the home or even men that are working outside the home is that, you know, the company, you can't, you can't put the company first. And I learned that from my mom who was fired when she was 53 is her company really kind of was her family and her more than that was her identity. Yeah. And so when she was fired, she lost more than a job. And I think that's what I've tried to pass on to our kids is work hard. No choice about it. If you're, if you're getting paid and you're, you're hired to do something, do the job, but don't ever forget that, like you said, that can go away in an instant. Mm-hmm. And if, if a company needs to get rid of you, they will, you are not family. Yeah. And so I think it's really important. And I think that's, what's really cool about what your parents did, even in a religious context as crass as it sounds, it's still business. Yeah. Your parents still have to make a living. Right. And they did what was right for them, which I can only imagine with the older members that that was quite the chatter. But I think that's always a good thing. It's not to like not live up to your company's expectations, but to always make sure in our house, we would always call it Punnett Corp. You know, we were Punnett Corporation. That's what that. we were. And, and that's what the end goal was. That's what we were looking toward 50 years down the line. It wasn't the immediate. It's like, mm-hmm. what are we doing as a company, as a family unit, as a working unit? And so I think that that, I think that's an important thing for young families in particular to remember. Yeah, I think so too. I think it's interesting too. You'll see from watching the first lady, you'll see, um, 
what I really like is sort of understanding the family dynamic of what the expectations are within each of these families. And then so how to, how they sort of had their family unit and then their own expectations for themselves aside from what right. the country expected of them. It's a great, it's a, it's a great show. I think you will, um, I think you'll enjoy it. It was, it was very interesting to me. So this is really interesting. What I'm watching right now is, um, a documentary called The Janes on HBO. Have you heard about this? No. It's about this. Now this is going to get into a topic which is controversial, which is abortion. But the Janes is about, it's a documentary about this group of women in Chicago who made it their mission to facilitate abortions for women in Chicago in the early 1970s before Roe v. Wade was passed. Mm -hmm. And when we talk about a rebellious act, Elizabeth, this is amazing. Now, the documentary is interesting to me because I grew up in Chicago in the 70s. So I'm seeing all this film of my hometown in the 1970s. So that was interesting. But it's, it is these women. And I didn't know this. This was really surprising that in the 1970s, abortions, if you wanted to have an abortion, it was controlled by the mob. Whoa. So this, they had a woman who had had an abortion in the early 1970s and she said, you would call this number and they would say, do you want the Chevy package? Cause you had to talk in code. Do you want the Chevy package or the Cadillac package? And the Chevy package, now mind you, this is in the 19, early 1970s was $500. The Cadillac was a thousand dollars. Jeez. I don't, I should have translated what that translates to now. That's I mean, a lot that, though. That's, that's a lot of money. And, um, she said, I had to take the Chevy package. And basically they gave her an address of this kind of awful motel. She was met there by a man and another woman who was getting an abortion at the same time. He did the procedure and then left them basically just in the hotel bleeding. Oh. And she said, you know, we were there in pain for two or three hours. And then we got up and we went our separate ways and I got a cab. But it's really... You know, I, we're not going to get into the fact that Roe v. Wade's been overturned, but when you look back and it's a very sort of sad look back at women get abortions, like this happens Mm -hmm. and whether it's legal or not, it still happens. And that's what this is really about. And these women just thought this is horrible that men are making decisions about our bodies. And so they started doing, they started facilitating abortions and then started doing the abortions themselves, Ooh. even though they were not doctors. Yikes. It's, 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 it, it's, I think every woman should watch it just because this is a central issue to female health and wellness and our own bodies, especially if you're in your reproductive years. It, it's, it's a fascinating look at that history. Mm-hmm. And that, and so I, I just can't recommend it enough. And I think it was pretty, Considering sort of what a hot topic it is, it's as sensitively done as it can be. Um, but I, you know, we're still talking about a controversial issue when we still haven't determined a society of what we determine is the beginning of life. Right. So I, I, I talk about this with great sensitivity to that idea, but wow, it was powerful. It was powerful. Wow. So that's a, okay. That's a, on yeah. HBO. I got to watch that. All right. I haven't watched that. All right. Let's move on to what we're reading, shall we? I've got a cookbook to share yes. with you, Marjorie Punnett. And oh, fantastic. It is written by someone in Arizona. So I actually wanted to ask you if you know of these people, because of course you used to produce food television in Arizona. So the cookbook is called The Miller's Daughter. 
And it is written uh, by a woman named Emma Zimmerman, and she is, and her father run Hayden Flour Mills. Do you know of this? The the Zimmermans, they're adorable. Oh, my gosh. They're adorable. Yeah. And what am I? I didn't do the story. I lined up the story, but one of my field producers did the story. Actually, my field producer even lined up the story. But, yeah, it's um, Hayden Flour Mills. Is they? I will send you the link to the story. You will love the story. They're as cute as can be. Okay, post it in the show notes. Post it in the show notes of the podcast so everybody can watch this story because I would love to see it. So the cookbook is written by Emma, and you know the backstory more, but I'll fill you in. Emma Zimmerman and her father, Jeff, they are they live in the outskirts of rural Phoenix, and they run this Hayden Flour Mills, which basically the whole goal of it is to bring back grains, ancient grains that would essentially be extinct. And so they use unusual flowers and heritage grains. And the cookbook is so lovely. And I cannot wait to make everything out of it. And I got it this week and I'd kind of forgotten that I ordered it, Marjorie, (laughs) because I ordered it with like a couple birthday gifts for my son and didn't open the package. And then I'm like, oh my goodness, I forgot that I bought this for myself. And the story is just so lovely of how they decided to get into this flour milling business and what they're doing that goes so against the grain, you know, pun intended there yeah, of, yeah. um, of what just this massive industrialized homogenized stuff that we call flour is on most grocery store shelves. So this is something yep. that I'm like super passionate about and I seek out heritage grains locally here all the time, but it can be difficult to find recipes that are specifically suited to those types of flowers. And this book is gorgeous. Like, I love it. I love it. I love it. I'm so happy about it. They are an adorable, they're an adorable story. They're an adorable pair. My memory of the story, like I said, I, I did probably the finish work on it, but my, my overriding memory of it was there was a quote where what I remember from the story is, and it was so cute. There's a part in the story and I will put the story link up because you'll love it where the dad was talking about his, his daughter and he was saying, you know, cause they were selling at farmer's markets. So you got to try their crackers. Their crackers are amazing. Mm. So they're selling at the farmer's market. And he said, then Emma, the dad said, you know, Emma just started doing this thing called Facebook. And he said, it was just, she was wasting so much time. We would sit there and she was posting. And I actually went to my wife and said, you know, I think I might have to fire Emma. Because I don't know what she's doing. And quite frankly, what Emma was doing was growing this company at a phenomenal rate because she was using social media. Yeah, yeah. And he just didn't understand her strategy. But they were so, he was so cute as he was telling the story about, because he's a very gentle soul about the possibility of having to fire his daughter because she's screwing around on the phone. It was just great. That but they're is lovely so funny. people. They're lovely people. Oh, I'm oh. so glad. That's great. Yeah, this book is fantastic. I'm loving it. I love that. I love the story and I'm very particular now about which cookbooks I bring into my home because I have amassed quite a collection. And so this one really spoke to me and I'm excited that I have it. Well, I think we should, I'll get Emma's number. It's somewhere in my files. Maybe we reach out to her and have a little chat with her because oh, she's, I'd love just it. So, she's a wonderful resource on so many levels and feels so passionately about what she and her family, what they're doing. And I think her mom's a nutritionist, which is why some of those recipes are probably coming out um, as beautifully as they are. There's a lot of thought that they put into everything they do. Oh, that's great. Um, yeah, it's really cool. Oh, I think cool. you'd love her. Yeah, you, they you were very new fun. to me. So I was so excited. 
you two will become lifelong friends. I oh, already know it. I love it. I love it. Let's get her on the podcast. There you go. Um, I am reading, and this is going to be a little, this isn't light reading. but yeah, I, Weird. I, That's I, so I, strange coming from you. I can't believe it. I can't believe you're not reading like something fluffy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm reading an anthology. It's a something of something sort. They use it in Harvard as a textbook. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. Now bear with me. So the author is Jack Sipes. He was, he used to be the head of the uh, Department of German, Scandinavian, and Dutch at the University of Minnesota. Oh, Sprechen Sie um, Deutsche. Give it to us. There you go. There you go. So he wrote a book called Relentless Progress, The Reconfiguration of Children's Literature, Fairy Tales, and Storytelling. This is a book of his essays about how in particularly childhood literature is changing. And then the bigger picture of that is just in general, childhood is changing Yeah, and why it's changing and sort of how the digital landscape, that that's what these kids are living in. It's a completely different world for them in terms of the media that's coming at them. I am upside down fascinated about how this is reconfiguring children's brains. Mm. And I wasn't, I got to miss all of this raising my children because it was so new that I could forestall a lot of it. So even though there were video games, I got away with saying, we can't have a video game console in our house. Yeah. Do I think I could do that now? I'm not sure. Phones were new enough that you know, my kids didn't have a phone, I think, till they were juniors in high school. Yeah. And even then they were like flip phones. So who cares? Yeah. Could, yeah, could I? Yeah. Didn't have sort of the social, no Instagram, none of that. Yeah. And so I never judge when I look at young parents, I never judge. Oh, my God, I can't believe you're letting your kids watch that because I don't know what it's like to parent in this world. It's completely different. But I'm going to read you a quote. You've got to stick with me because these are so powerful to me. So I'm going to read these slowly, everybody. Take these in. If you have to play them back, play them back. But they're really important. And I think if I were a young mother, this would so inform how I was going to raise my children. So the first one is, he says, it may be too early. And mind you, this was written in 2009. 2009. He said, it may be too early yet to assess the effects of this reconfiguration that is connected to the operations of the commodity market. However, I believe we are positioning children to experience and to read the world in a manner that alienates them from families and communities and causes immense problems in identity formation. And these problems are the ones that need our immediate concern. Yeah. That was written in 2009. Mm -hmm. We are seeing that now. 100%. This idea of disconnection, depression, suicidal ideation. Yeah. It's all happening. Right. Identity so conflicts. Yeah. All of that. It's, it's so powerful. And then this is the other one that blew my mind, Elizabeth. This is mind blowing to me. He writes, um, this is in the essay, Literacy in the New Media Age. The formal constellation of medium of book and mode of writing is giving way and in many domains has already given way to the new constellation of medium screen and mode of image. The logic of image now dominates the sites and conditions of appearance of all displayed communication. That is, of all graphic communication that takes place via spatial display and through sense of sight. That now includes writing, which is becoming display oriented. Yeah. When in the past image appeared on the page, it did so subject to the logic of the writing. The relation of image to writing, which we still know as illustration. When writing now appears on the screen, it does so subject to the logic of the image. Mm-hmm. That flip 
for our brains is huge. And for children, that's everything. Because what we're talking about is if our children are learning through image and not through word, they're losing massive critical thinking skills. Massive. They're losing their imagination because when you are relying on the written word, your brain creates the image for you. And that is where imagination thrives. And that is where we get the greatest ideas. And that's where we get the, the most amazing like evolutions in technology or like the way we do things or the next brilliant bright idea is because your brain can think of something it's never seen before. But when you're relying solely on images and then the words are the afterthought, then you get in this box. It's so interesting because it so goes along with like Montessori thinking of that idea of even like Montessori thinking. I remember reading about how in Montessori schools, you have dolls, but the dolls don't have faces on them. There's no like facial expression. And the reason is, is because you use the doll, then, then the doll is not dictating to the child how the doll feels or how it should be played with. It's a blank slate for the child to create the story of how the doll is experiencing life, which I thought was so interesting and totally is in line with what you're saying here. Yeah. And remember, I was a Montessori baby. I was one of the first. Yeah. Um, But it's Montessori is very good about that, about letting the child's mind grow and be free and sort of discover all those things on your own. And I'm trying to pull up right now because you just hit it exactly. There was this great quote that I was reading about the beauty of reading is exactly it. that You make a connection to the words, but you can't stop your brain from taking it in all sorts of unpredictable places. Mm -hmm. And so to exactly your point, exactly what you said, when it's image and then the words, it's very flat. It's a very flat experience. So it's, I mean, it's, the book is just fascinating to me and more so that it was written in 2009. And, you know, he was writing in the beginnings of, of all of these things that we were going to come in contact with. And I think it's, it's, it's so important for parents to know this. And I don't think, I don't think we fully understand this yet. No. And I think there's a generation that's going to suffer because nobody was paying enough attention to what the effects were. And I think like your kids actually are going to benefit from all the research that talks about how dangerous this is. I mean, we've all heard, you know, limit screen time, limit screen time, limit, but it goes so far beyond that in terms of what you have to do and curate for your children to yeah. make sure that their self image is that their identity formation actually happens in a healthy way. I know you're swimming upstream if you're trying to do this life. I mean, I'm convinced I just live my life exhausted because I just am constantly swimming up the stream. Yeah, I know. (laughs) I know. It's so tiring. It's so tiring. (laughs) And so important. I know. And I, you know, it, but it's, I, I come to this and even bringing these quotes to tired mothers who are yeah. like, oh my God, really? I know. Like, really? Yeah. But I'm saying really. Really? Yeah, yeah, really. That's where we're at. Yeah. Um, okay, before we go, let's talk about what we're listening to, Marjorie. And then you've got to you've got to get to Belize. We don't have all day here, Marjorie Punnett. So I am this I want to recommend a particular podcast episode that I keep thinking about. I've been listening to some episodes of The Doctor's Pharmacy with Dr. Mark Hyman. You know, I like love all these holistic and integrative and functional medicine 
podcasts. But Dr. Mark Hyman's podcast, I do like, and this one particular episode I'm recommending because I just keep thinking about it. The episode is entitled How to Create a Happy Mind and Happy Life with Dr. Rangan Chatterjee. And he was so interesting because he is a British guy, this doctor who was the guest. He's got a show on the BBC called Doctor in the House. And he um, has a TED Talk and all these different things. But what's interesting is that he talks about happiness and that a lot of achieving happiness is breaking down barriers that we've created in our own minds. And I would love for you guys to listen to the episode because I think you'll you'll like it too. And one thing, one little exercise that he recommended in this podcast episode was reframing the story that you tell yourself about things that bug you throughout the day. Okay. So he gave this example of if you're in traffic and somebody cuts you off and your first thought is like, you're a jerk, like you're an a-hole, right, Marjorie? I mean, this is my first thought all the time is like, learn how to drive. You suck. (laughs) (laughs) I am at my worst when I'm driving and I give people no grace when I'm driving. And then what he, what he's explaining in this episode is that what that does to you, it, it doesn't impact the other person at all. It's just raising your cortisol level, stressing you out, putting you into a fight or flight mode that doesn't need to exist at all. And so he encourages you to just reframe your perception of that person and to literally make up a story about what happened to that person. So this person cuts you off or drives irresponsibly and say it's a, you know, say it's a woman. And so I would, I would think to myself, Oh my gosh. Go ahead. I, your kid in the car in the back seat just screamed at you and you and right. threw something at you and you couldn't pay attention to where you're driving. I'm so glad you're okay. Go on your way. So you reframe that person as a hero instead of a villain. And then you completely shift your reaction to it and you completely change. And it doesn't matter if the story is true or false. Who cares if the story is true? Right. It's. It's how your body then reacts to that interaction. So that was one illustration that's really stuck with me. And, um, and he described some other really great things in this podcast. And I think I'm going to try to pick up one of his books and read it too. But I liked this I episode. I love that. Yeah. I mean, this even sort of, if we call back to what we were just talking about, that requires empathy and imagination. Mm-hmm. It requires the ability to think outside yourself in a bigger, more interesting way in order to create that story that makes her the hero. Yeah. And so again, these are such important skills that we have. That aside, I love that because in the end, you feel better because it's almost like you've gotten out of the way of a hero. Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah that's great. Yes. That's it's so great. interesting. It's just like reframing these little things so that you don't have this like toxic stress oh, that then makes you unhappy. It's really fascinating. So listen to the episode. You're going to, you're going to be on a plane, download it and um and let me know what you think. I will. And I'm listening to right now and this is great flying music. So if you have a flight coming up and you don't particularly like to fly, um it's I'm going many years back, but it's Nora Jones's album Feels Like Home. To be your best every day, you need proven quality sleep every night. Science proves your best sleep is vital to your mental, emotional and physical health. And that's where the Sleep Number bed comes in and let me tell you Ever since I've had it, my Sleep IQ score is just going higher and higher. And did you know 8 out of 10 couples say that one of them sleeps too hot or too cold? 
Science tells us regulating your sleep temperature leads to higher quality sleep. For many couples, temperature struggles are a real challenge. So here are some tips to help you both sleep just right. Look for beds designed with temperature benefits, such as the new Sleep Number Climate 360 Smart Bed that actively warms and cools each side, so you both sleep blissfully comfortable. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number 360 Special Edition Smart Bed, plus special financing for a limited time. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com/podcast1. Sleep Number, the official sleep and wellness partner of the National Football League. Subject to credit approval, minimum monthly payments required. See sleepnumber.com for details. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com/podcast1 to learn more and start your free trial.